Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 what is his real calling in your life are you allowing that to happen or are you saying no my will over his welcome to core truth radio a radio ministry of core church los angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. No matter how much fame a person can amass in this life, no matter how much money they can obtain, or how much power a person can grab onto, in the end, we will all stand in the presence of God. And in that day, all that will matter is this. Did we embrace Jesus as our Savior and our Lord? Did we follow after him and serve him this side of heaven? Because nothing in this world will ever satisfy the human soul until we come into a relationship with the one who made us. That's why many who come into fame are so miserable. Kylie Jenner, you know, part of the Kardashian family, gets up every morning filled with anxiety. She's wondering if anything is written about her bad on the internet. It's just like, oh my goodness. I mean, it's like, is there more things to think about than uh, you? It's like uh, supermodel Gigi uh, is skeptical on anyone who wants to be her friend. It's like, uh, you're being nice to me. What do you want? There must be something about you. It's like, uh, no, I just wanted to say hi. That's it, you know. Uh, George Clooney complains about not being able to do the little things in life, like walking in Central Park. Well, can't you put on one of those nose with the glasses, you know? It's like they won't recognize you. I mean, whatever. You know, they complain because they're famous. Yet, for us as Christians, though, one thing that God has given to every single one of us is peace. And that is so awesome. It's like, now, if you don't have peace as a Christian, there's something to do with what you're doing because God has given it to us. He says in Isaiah 26, 3, he says, the steadfast of mind thou will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. Notice he said, a steadfast mind in the Lord. You know, being steadfast means this. It means to not waver in our faith. It's to be constant in our faith. It's to not change or be fickle-minded in our faith. We need to stand on that relationship with God. We're not to trust in ourselves, but on him. I wonder if that would describe and best describe us here today. Or maybe some of us have put our wants and our desires actually over God's plans and purposes for our lives. 
Well, may I suggest that there's no better place to be than at the epicenter of where God desires you and me to be. I'm not talking about, you know, maybe, you know, God wants us to be, you know, a missionary living in Africa in a mud hut, you know, eating bugs or something. No, it's like, where does God want us to be like right here? Like in our everyday life, how does he want to use us? Because everywhere we go is an opportunity to be used by the Lord. There's always that opportunity in the midst of life, in the midst of just going through your everyday business that you can be used of the Lord and be a vessel for him. And it starts with dying to our own wants and our own desires and rather grasping on for his perfect will in our lives. Meaning the way up in God's kingdom is down. It says in James 4.10, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and then he will lift you up, and then he will do things in our life. It's to be humble in ourselves. That's when God unfolds his perfect will in our lives. Yes, it sounds like an oxymoron to be humble in all of that in this world that we live in, but it is true. And when there is, get this, when there is less of us, there will always be more of him in our lives. Well, today, as we continue in our study here through the gospel of John, let's look at our first point called to decrease. Let's take a moment again to reflect again on John the Baptist. We studied him in John chapter one. Now, remember, Jesus claimed that he, John the Baptist, was the most notable prophet of all time over Moses, over Abraham, over Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, Elisha. He was the most notable prophet of all time. Isaiah the prophet referred to him as one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He was sent by God to prepare the way for the promised Messiah. He was sent by God to prepare the way for the Savior of the world. Understand. This is an unbelievable compliment that is given to John the Baptist. For as you already know, though, a compliment is only as good as the one who gives the compliment, which in this case, again, was Jesus Christ, the God-man. And Jesus also said, of those who have been born or brought into this world by a man and a woman, there has been no one greater than John the Baptist. That statement alone has put John the Baptist into a whole new solar system. Yes, John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of all time. He was a one-of-a-kind man. He had great character. He had a strong spiritual backbone. He had a strength and a trust in God to fulfill his purpose with a great passion inside. His very birth was a miracle in itself because his parents were way past the age of childbearing, yet God sent the angel Gabriel to speak to Zacharias. That was John's dad. And he proclaimed that he and his wife Elizabeth would bear a son, a child that they had prayed for their entire lives as a couple. Think about that. They had been praying to have a baby for some 40, 50 years. And no go, wasn't happening. When she was watching all of her school friends growing up having babies, she didn't have a baby. She wasn't getting pregnant. They prayed and prayed and prayed, yet with no apparent answer. 
Yes, their prayer requests seem to be completely and totally unheard by God. I wonder if there's anyone here today that your prayers seem to be not heard by God. Maybe you've been praying for something for a very long time and it hasn't happened. Well, my first thought is this. Is it possible that you're asking for something that is completely outside of God's will for your life? I'm just asking. You know, I don't know. Because how many people have prayed to win the lottery? And God says, I'm answering your prayer right now. As soon as it rolled off your tongue, I'm answering your prayer. And the answer is no. (laughs) I'm not going to answer that prayer for you. Because how many over times past have crashed and burned in their faith because of the pursuit of riches? Know this. Money in itself is not evil. In fact, we need it in our country to survive. That's how we pay our bills and what have you. But the love of money and what it has done to so many in this lifetime is a great evil. And be a faithful steward if you desire to have more from God then be a faithful steward of the little that you have. And when you prove to be a faithful steward in the little that God gives you, God will give you more. Honor him in your tithes. Honor him in your giving. And God will add to what you have. But getting back to prayer, prayer in everything, we should always say this with every prayer. God, not my will, but your will be done. Everything that we say should always have that in it because doesn't God know what's best? I mean, we pray for things and say, oh, God, I got to have this. Oh, God, please give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe this isn't God's will for you. You know, there's one of the kings in the Old Testament. I was just getting done reading about him. Uh, His name was Hezekiah. And he was a godly man, and he did many good things. And, And he lived in a generation of kings that many did not do good things, and they were wicked kings. But when Hezekiah took over, he brought things back around. He cut down these, you know, false, you know, practices and worshiping false idols and all of these things. And, you know, he did a good job as a king. And so Isaiah the prophet came in and said, well, you know, Hezekiah, get your uh, affairs in order because your life is about to end. You know, you come to the end of your life. Get ready. Prepare to die, basically. And Hezekiah, he cried out to the Lord and he cried and he moaned and he wept. Oh, God, no, give me life. more life, more life, more life. And man, he was just all over that. So God actually heard his prayers and gave him 15 more years. But in that 15 years... He brought in the kings of Babylon and he showed them all the riches that Israel and Jerusalem had. And in that time, he bore a son and that son's name was Manasseh. And he was the most wicked king that Israel ever had. So my point is this, if he just would have died when he was supposed to die, it would have been great. But because he had that extra 15 years, in that 15 years, he caused Babylon to see the great witches, which caused Babylon, after he died, to come down and take the children of Israel into captivity. And his son, he was 12 years old when his dad died. That means he was born three years into that extra 15 years. He became the most wicked king. The point, again, is this. God has a purpose and he has a will. We should all try to be in alignment with exactly what God desires for us, not what we desire for ourselves. That's why we should end every prayer with, Lord, I desire this. I seek this. Nothing wrong with asking, but Lord, you know me and you know what would happen if I had this. 
God, not my will, but yours be done. But what if we're praying, you know, for, is this the will of God? And then we don't end up getting it. Well, then it wasn't God's will. See, now the parents of John the Baptist, they prayed until they were old. They kept praying, and God answered their prayers. But again, notice, it wasn't in their timing. It was answered in God's timing. For God created John the Baptist with a specific destiny. He had a purpose. There was a reason for his existence, just like there is a reason for your existence. This is why John the Baptist lived a set-apart life. He denied himself. He never drank alcohol. In fact, we're told in Mark 1, 6, he says, John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. It's like, wow, you think that was crazy. But this was all part of him because he knew he had a specific role to fulfill and he wanted to be the vessel of honor that God desired him to be. So John set himself apart. His character, you could say, was shaped in the wilderness. He spent time alone with God. And the longer he spent with God, the closer he got with God. Well, we could take all that in for a little closer look. See, his message was simple. It was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He pointed out Jesus to others saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But how was that going to all happen? How would it unfold? Well, in our last study in John, at the beginning of chapter 3, Jesus told us himself, that he said this to Nicodemus. How would people, literally, how would they, he take the sin of the world upon his body? How is it all going to work? Well, he told Nicodemus, if you remember, that when he was lifted up, all of those who looked on him and believed on him would be saved. What did that mean? Well, we looked at it in our last study because it was really a reference to back in Moses' day. The people were grumbling. They were griping. Could you imagine griping and mumbling? I mean, I moan and groan all the time. In fact, this morning I was looking for my post-it pad. Where's it at? I'm like, where's it at? Did it grow feet? Did it walk away? I mean, it's like, where did my post-it pad go? And I'm sitting there because I wanted to write something down and I couldn't find anything to write it on. So I find myself moaning and groaning on stupid little things. Well, imagine this. The people were griping because God had brought them out of Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness. Oh, that's right. Why were they wandering for so long? Because they were rebellious and didn't trust God to go into the promised land. But anyway, they were self-inflicted. But they kept groaning, so God sent serpents upon them to bite them, and people were dying with these poisonous serpents. And that's where they started crying out, oh, God, forgive us, you know, like, oh, we're a mess. So God told Moses to take and make a bronze serpent wrapped around a pole. This is where we get the image for the medical sign that we have today that you'll see on medical, you know, people's uh, doctor's cards and what have you. You see the serpent wrapped around a pole that came from the Bible. And so he said, now you lift that up, this bronze thing that you made on a pole, and when people look upon that, then they will be saved from the, the snake bites that they were receiving. So 
when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he says, in the same way, I will be lifted up. I will be nailed to a cross. And when people look upon that cross and they believe in me, they will be saved. Well, as we pick up again here, using that as a backdrop, and we pick up in our text, the Passover that Jesus had gone to Jerusalem, that's why he was there talking to Nicodemus. Well, the Passover's over at this point. So Jesus goes back to Judea, and he wasn't far from John the Baptist. So this is the first time he's kind of come in contact close in the proximity of John the Baptist since he was baptized by John the Baptist. That's where our first point picks up, called to decrease. Let us read together in the text. In John chapter 3, we'll pick up in verse 22. It says, now after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing with them. And John, John the Baptist, also was baptizing in Aon uh, near uh, Salim because there was much water there, and they were coming and they were being baptized. Verse 24, for John had not yet been thrown into prison because at one point he's going to get thrown into prison and he'll be beheaded by uh, Herod the king. But that hasn't happened yet. Verse 25, there arose therefore a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, he who is, was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it had been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. He Jesus must increase, but I, John the Baptist, must decrease. We'll stop there for a moment. Oh, if we could only grasp today what John the Baptist was able to grasp. He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Oh, how many misery and anxious-filled nights could we bypass if we had that mentality in our own hearts? Yes, when we come to Jesus, if we would only let him have his way in our life, what is God's plan for you? What is his real calling in your life? Are you allowing that to happen? Are you saying, no, my will over his? For in Jesus, he is to increase as we should be willingly able to say, I decrease, Lord. I am willing for you to have your will in my life, to do his will and not ours. Notice in verse 26, John's disciples said, Jesus is just right up the road here and everybody's going to him. They were worried. The crowds had ceased. The buzz was over. They were saying, what's happening to our ministry here? Because if you remember when John the Baptist was first out in the wilderness, oh my goodness, everyone was just throwing at him. They're saying, wow, look at this prophet out there. He's full of fire. He's preaching. And it's like everyone was going to him in the wilderness because the dead religion had taken over all of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. And so when they found this man that was on fire out there, everyone was running to him. But now everyone's 
leaving him. And now everyone's going to Jesus. And, and John the Baptist, his, his disciples are saying, what's happening to the ministry here? The people are gone. But this is where John the Baptist, he could have complained, you would think, right? I mean, he was the man. He was the, the one that was greater than all the prophets of the Old Testament, the greatest to ever walk on earth, besides Jesus, of course. Everybody was coming to him. Why? Again, because he spoke with power. He spoke with great authority. And remember, he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God in his mother's womb. You remember, uh, Elizabeth was already pregnant with him when Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to visit her. And when she saw Mary realizing that she was carrying the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the baby inside of her, John the Baptist, leapt inside of her and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, the people used to line up for days to be baptized by John the Baptist. There was a revival going on. It was fresh and it was alive. The people of God were returning to their maker. But now everything has changed. Now everyone's following Jesus. That's what they're supposed to do. But John's disciples are saying, what do we do? Yet this is why Jesus came. And even John the Baptist said in chapter 1 that he was not the light. He told him, I'm not the light. I have only come to bear witness of the true light that's coming. For Jesus was the light. Also in chapter 1 verse 9, you know, John the Baptist said that Jesus came to enlighten every man. That's why Jesus came, to enlighten us. You know, that word enlighten in the New American Standard or gives light in the King James Bible is an interesting word because in the original language, it means to bring and to give. It's to illuminate. It's to make us see. This is what's so wonderful about coming into a relationship with Christ. He wants to illuminate us. He wants us to see things that we wouldn't normally see. How can we look into the spiritual and understand what God means? How can we really know the God of all eternity when we live in a world that is so distant from God? It's through the Holy Spirit because he came to illuminate us. He came to cause us to see things that we wouldn't normally see that we could actually know God. Yes, John the Baptist could have been upset. He could have been jealous, even envious of Jesus. He could have thought, what am I going to do now? Where am I going to go? Yet we, like John the Baptist, must be careful when change happens. Why? Well, for a couple reasons. Number one, we don't like change, right? Especially if it's a lesser you know, view of things or a lesser position. We don't like that to happen in our lives. And number two, we don't like getting passed over or being, not being noticed for all that we do. Why again? Because we like attention. Yet with John the Baptist, we see why Jesus said this about him in Matthew 11. He, he, Jesus said, there was no one greater, no other greater prophet than John the Baptist. And because of that, he immediately sets his disciples straight. He tells him in verse 27, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from above. What a great point that is that he makes. He says, I was only great. I only had the big crowds. People came to listen to me is only because of him. It was only because of his anointing. It was only because of the Holy Spirit. You know, people have come to me at times and said, that was a great Bible study because it was a great text. 
It was a great text. It's like, Lord, don't let me butcher the greatest message you've ever given us on the planet in this book right here. And so it's like, only he gets the glory for things. I love what the Apostle Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, for who regards you as superior? And what do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Because people will say, you know, I'm such a great singer. I'm such a great, you know, actor. I'm such a great this. Maybe you've been very successful in your business, whatever you do. Maybe you're very good at what you do. And you think to yourself, you know, I'm so good. Look at me. Look what I've been able to accomplish. Look at this business that I built from scratch and all of these things. But don't you realize that everything you have has been given to you? It's a gift. Everything that you have, the ability to work. The mind that creates a job for us. You know, all of those things are a gift from God. He's the one who gives us the ability to move, to speak, to think, to contemplate. All of these things, it's all a gift of God. So how can any of us ultimately really take credit for anything that we do? And so it goes for in the church also. If you have been given a gift to encourage other believers as a believer and you come alongside people or you have a gift of prayer and you're always praying for people, don't take credit for that for yourself. It was all a gift from God. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789 Los Angeles, California 90034.